Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Dental Amigos, the only podcast co-hosted by a dentist and a lawyer, except today we're joined by another lawyer. Paul, so you are outnumbered I'm outnumbered. Here, two to one. Look, I brought my gavel. Yeah, I'm, you, you now you get to see what it's like. I'm usually the only uh, non-dentist in the room, or frequently. Uh, but we promise not to uh, not to pick on you. I, I appreciate that. You're welcome. Dennis get enough picking on in general in our in our everyday lives. So uh, lawyers never do that. <laughs> uh, so today, as I said, we're joined by Philadelphia attorney Mark Seltzer. Mark and his firm, Seltzer and Associates PC, have dedicated their practice to helping dentists, physicians, and professionals who suffer from disabling conditions go forward with their lives. As the founder and principal attorney, Mark personally oversees each and every client's claim handled by his firm. He's been in practice for more than 40 years and has earned a national reputation as a strong and capable advocate on behalf of his physician, dental, and professional clients who are struggling with addiction and other disabling conditions. He has appeared by motion in numerous state and federal courts and has successfully handled many claims and cases on behalf of impaired dentists, physicians, and professionals around the country. His firm is a nationally recognized leader in the area of disability insurance law and insurance bad faith. And today, Paul, we're gonna chat with Mark about best practices and what to look out for when making disability claims. And you know, recently we had our good amigo, Jim Cashmore. Yeah, great, great resource. On the show, absolutely. Uh, Jim talked about sort of the, the beginning of the disability process and the happy part, which is finding the right disability yeah. policy, making sure that you're adequately insured and working with the right people in that regard. Uh, but after you're finished with Jim, you dentists go out into the world and yeah. do your dentist thing and hope that you never have to actually submit a claim under those right. disability policies that you bought. Mark, uh, is I would hate to say because he's a good guy. He's the sort of the unhappy part of the process uh, in that when you have to uh, go ahead and actually submit a claim on your disability insurance, he's a lawyer that works with people and helps them uh, through that process. I like to think of it as you know, it's like you buy the umbrella and you you it's now raining and you got to tell people when to open it and how to use it. So it's a great analogy. Yeah, <laughs> Paul, you should have been a lawyer. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I would like that. Uh, and now, without further ado. Here's Mark Seltzer. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Guys, thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, it's good to have somebody, a, a local Philadelphia lawyer. Yeah, uh, it, I like the in-studio. So in your professional legal opinion, Mark, where is your the best place to get nachos near where you live, and what's your favorite topping? Well, there's a place right near where I live in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, called Decido. And uh, the nachos, I'm not big on cheese and, and a lot of stuff on them but they make the chips fresh. They also make this great table-side guacamole, which is just sensational. That and the chips, you're good. Everything's always better table-side. I'm gonna call my dentistry table-side dentistry now. It'll seem fancier it is, and charge absolutely. more. Yeah, you I like bring that. bring the card in. Yeah, yeah, bring the card out, yeah. Have just that, doing that, some chair-side dentistry. You like chair-side guac, don't you? Here's a chair-side <laughs> yeah, filling. It, it, you know? it, it, it's really good. <laughs> get the mortar and the pestle and get the toothpaste. Yeah, yeah, I like that, exactly. Yeah, Dentists used to use that. Make it your toothpaste. Hey, Mark, so uh, obviously I read your bio and uh, it gave our listeners a little bit of a taste of, of what you do and what we're going to talk about. But if you could just explain a little bit more about what you do for dentists and other healthcare professionals. Sure. Um, and, and, and thank you, Rob. Uh, we have a very, very small niche practice. Our uh, office is in Philadelphia, but we uh, have a national practice, as you uh, uh, referred um, and what we do is help dentists, doctors, other professionals um, with disability insurance claims. And by that, I mean private disability insurance, insurance claims and, and cases, not Social Security. Mm -hmm. So uh, generally, as it relates to dentists, 
Um, the private policies would be a policy that someone would, would purchase. Uh, there are some associate, association policies, um, or it could be as part of a, a large group, part of the employee benefit package. Uh, if a group is large enough, would include a disability insurance, an LTD, it's called long-term disability policy. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we help uh, our people um, through the entire process. And that can be from the inception of a claim, helping them to go out on claim, to, to file uh, the claim going through the process. It could be if their claim, if they've handled it th themselves, um, if their claim is terminated or denied, um, possible if, if possibly if they want to uh, resolve the claim. Um, and we give advice uh, relative to policies and so forth. Yeah, and so you're actually, in some cases, litigating with the insurance companies, yes. is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so I think uh, what may come as a surprise or maybe not so to our dentist listeners, Paul, is just because you have the insurance doesn't mean that necessarily the insurance company is going to be you know, knocking down your door to hand over right, money. Right, exactly. So sometimes you actually have to enforce that disability insurance contract policy, you know, same thing, really, it's a contract that you uh, that you entered into and that you bought from the insurance company. And sometimes, Mark, I guess that ends up in, in court when the insurance company doesn't uh, agree to do the right thing. Yes, it does. But I, I must say the, 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 the goal here and the, the art is really staying out of court. It's, it's making sure a claim goes in that is well supported, not violating, violating any of the cardinal rules. Um, to the extent that it gets paid, and gets paid as long as it should be paid. Uh, our people, uh, dentists, uh, have enough problem, uh, problems having the physiological, emotional, uh, or depending on what the disabling condition is, having enough dealing with that issue. What they don't need to do is to deal with making sure they get paid under a disability insurance policy, which should be paying them um, if in that event so that they have additional financial issues in, in, in paying their uh, mortgages and, and supporting their families and, and so forth while they are going through a very difficult process um, of trying to pick up the pieces of their lives and, and, and putting everything back together. Cool. Yeah, there's a lot there. And let me just sort of back up a second. I, I like when you said that, you know, you try to avoid going to court. I think we work with a lot of uh, dentists who are hiring lawyers for the first time. Yeah. And I think just the general public may have a, a misperception that it's good to try to go to court or like the goal is to get to right. court. And a good lawyer's job is to keep the client out of court and to yeah. try to reach some sort of predictable resolution of, of, uh, of a claim or any kind of dispute. And, you know, it's like um, sometimes you have no choice, but it really should be the last resort because once you get in front of a judge, I can tell you when I used to be a litigator yeah. in my former life, Paul, there's really no telling what's going to happen. Yeah. People say, oh, am I going to win? If I mean, even if you have a, what I would consider to be a slam dunk, dunk case, the answer to that question is, yeah, it's 50-50. Yeah, Why it. is it 50-50? Because the judge could rule yes or no, basically. So uh, it's really, it's a good thing for people to realize that there's, when you're engaging somebody for this type of matter, that you know, the end game isn't necessarily uh, the day in court. It's to make sure that you're getting the policy proceeds that, that you need and paid for, you know, to be able to support your family. It's, it's a good practice. point. I have a question for you, Mark. So like, you know, I help a lot of dentists, you know, young dentists, you know, when they should start looking for disability. And I'm just wondering, you know, uh, what are the things that happen where the insurance company is unwilling to pay? Like, let's say a dentist has a hand injury and can't practice dentistry you know, my assumption as an outsider would just be that, you know, these insurance companies issue all these policies, they issue a hundred policies and up oh, two out of a hundred, you just got to pay because that's just the, the way it works. And the other 98 funded the two. So what are some things where, you know, I'm sure this could be as good at dramatic podcasting stuff, stories where, you know, they just are not paying when it seems reasonable they should pay. Well, if, if you don't mind, Paul, just addressing myself to uh, what Rob just said, it's not only, and you're right, you're 100% accurate, you never know how a judge or a jury or whatever the circumstance would be, will rule or how a litigation will go because oftentimes litigation has a mind of its own. It's being subjected to the process. Mm. It's the time delay in not having the benefit. Right. It's being beaten up when you're already suffering from a disabling condition at the Good same point. time. Um, so if we can guide our clients 
and get involved early enough in the process to make sure that a claim is well supported and, and anticipate all the issues that are, that are going to be raised in the future and presented in the face of that, which again increases the likelihood of not only getting paid, but getting paid for the duration of the claim. That is really optimal. So you're, you're insulating your, your client at a very, very vulnerable time from um, a, a very, very devastating experience. Um, in that, that's a great that's a great point, and I think you know people need to really understand that. And it's compassionate too that you're really not doing your client a, a service if when they're down, you're setting them setting them up for a big fight before. And I want to hear some of the war stories, you know, that Paul is asking you about. But as you just said, you know, getting involved at an early stage. When is the best time for someone to start thinking about talking to you or somebody like you about their disability claim? The best time is when um, the dentist client um, would understand that there's some impairment, there's some problem. And again, we talked about this earlier before we went live. Um, it could be a physical, physiological uh, condition, which is very, very probable with a dentist. Uh, could be a psychological condition, could be an addiction issue. Whatever it is, is having a negative impact on their ability to practice in some, to some extent. Can't work the same hours, can't do the same procedures, can't do as many procedures, start losing money. Understand that whatever is being done on a day-to-day -day basis keeps exacerbating their problem to the extent where they see that their ability to practice, their effectiveness and so forth is going south. That's the time to contact us so that we can help uh, guide someone through the process. And, and um, folks, we, and listeners, I interrupt you for a second. So, you know, what Mark's saying too is it's not just as a dentist that, hey, I have a bad back, my neck yeah. hurts, I have a hand problem or a tremor, things like that. Uh, it could be a psychological disability or some sort of impairment from drugs or, or alcohol. Yeah, right. You know, and, and uh, you may, I assume that especially with those types of claims, you probably run into problems, Mark, where the client doesn't want to necessarily acknowledge that problem, but realizes they need help. I would imagine that's got to be a, a really a big challenge for for you. Absolutely it is. And not only acknowledge the problem, not only not acknowledge the fact that they need help. Mm -hmm. um, one of the problems when you're talking about addiction cases relative to dentists is that dentists have a very, very specific practice. They're practicing in, the, in an isolated forum. It's a little operatory. It's a, it's a little room. Whereas, for example, a physician may be in, in, in a hospital setting mm -hmm. where there are nurses mm -hmm. and coworkers and um, take an anesthesiologist, an anesthesiologist for, for example, is working around surgeons and so forth. A dentist has their own little self-contained practice. Mm. So they can do whatever they're doing and nobody even knows about it. Um, so you've but, seen all the colleagues. I mean, yeah, that's, right. That's, yes. why that's why there's a 21,000-member yes. Facebook yeah, group yes, dental exactly. doctors for dentists to, to share because they are, they're on their yeah. island. Right, right. Sure. But if, if yes, if, it, if a dentist is suffering from psychiatric illness, um, addiction, and it is, and there's a, there's a problem there, obviously addiction is a problem, psychiatric illness to the extent where it's severe enough where it's negatively impacting their ability to practice. And everybody looking in the mirror would know that, um, however that plays out. Uh, that is the best time to contact us. We can help in, in, in every way, not only in getting the, the proper help uh, from a medical standpoint, but also in, in, in how to possibly reduce the amount of patients they see to the extent where they can, they can tolerate that um, and may be entitled to what's called residual disability under these policies, partial di disability. Or, it's not all or nothing, right? I mean, no, it's not just no. like, hey, I, I, either I where, can where practice they can, full where, time or I can't. There's where something the dust in between, can settle right? yeah. and where they, something that's tolerable while they're getting well and then rebuild their practice. Mm -hmm. Or if they have to step away, we can help them get total disability benefits and to step away from the practice as long as they need to step away before they can go back. Or in the worst case scenario, go into a different direction if they can't go back mm -hmm. to practicing dentistry. As, as Rob and you walk us through this yellow brick road, I have a, a thought came to me, because as a solo practice dentist, or even a group practice like mine, you have a lot of pressure on you because you have a lot of people working for you, and you're thinking, what would happen if I feel impaired, but then you know I can't practice? That means eight to 10 people can't be paid. Walk me through, and, and maybe there is no good answer, because I do a lot with finding associates or people going out on maternity leave or things like that. What happens if a dentist, a solo practice dentist doing a million dollars a year with eight team members, 
feels an impairment, physical, emotional, whatever you say. And then they say, oh, geez, I, my team wouldn't be able to work. How do they manage that, that process? Well, l- let me back up. Uh, you were alluding to, uh, to this issue, I think, um, while you were presenting a really good hypothetical. Um, there often is a problem with doctors, um, dentists, that they don't want to document their problems for fear of the possibility of maybe getting sued for, for malpractice, um, other people knowing there's a problem, maybe it gets out there in their general practice community where Dr. So-and-so has got a problem and, and so forth. But there's, there is a, um, there's an impetus not to document the problems or certainly the severity of, of the problems, which is a problem that we run into when somebody is, is hanging on by a thread and then collapses and all of a sudden, where's the medical treatment? Well, there, there wasn't any. Well, there really was. I was calling Dr. So-and-so on the phone, but I didn't want anything documented, or I, or I'm, I was saying I'm better than I really was because I didn't want these, the severity documented. Um, so that's the lead into what do they do? There are a couple of different um, um, types of coverage, one of which is called, it, it's, it is a, as I alluded to before, is individual disability um, insurance, there's long-term disability, but there's also business overhead expense insurance. So that if, a, if a, a dental client has purchased, and if there's one thing I can say to your uh, listeners, if somebody does not have disability insurance, get it, because it's so much more likely in the course of your career that you will become disabled as opposed to dying. Um, it's a multiple. So they, everybody, if, if, if you don't have disability insurance, there's really nothing to talk about. Now, if you have overhead insurance, what that does is if in the event that you are totally disabled, residually disabled, partially disabled, the benefit kicks in to the extent that it will pay a certain amount of your actual overhead expenses. So that would supplement part of the income. And part of the income would be supplemented by if in the event you had individual coverage and you'd be eligible for that, where you could, you're essentially getting the money yourself. So there are two income streams. Um, it's, it's a very, very big question. How do you maintain your practice? Uh, how long are you going to be out? Wh- how do you feed people? I really don't know the answer to that, other than if you have adequate coverage, you can keep the, the ship floating while you're out uh, or, or you're out part-time until you recover and, and can go back full-time. Yeah, that's, it's a good point. I mean, one of the things I just see is such a big problem in the dental space and probably different than uh, doctors. And, and, you know, when you look at a disability, you know, time out, it could be pregnancy, four to six months, who fills in these gaps, you know, mm-hmm. of, of practitioners? Because it's just in a hospital, there's other anesthesiologists, there's other OBGYNs yeah, in a and, dental office. That's and, the one and, and part of it, yeah. uh, um, furthering that conversation about the, the overhead um, insurance. And I'm, it, it's so the policies, if it's again, if it's one thing I have to point out, the policies are very, very fact specific. They're all different. Every company um, uh, policies change from year to year within the same company. So it's very fact specific. But sometimes under the policies, you can go out and hire a replacement dentist. And that is something that will be expensed out or would be paid for um, by that overhead um, expense policy. Sometimes it's not. It depends on how the policy reads. Gotcha. But that, and that's how you can do it. I have to say, you know, this is something that we talked to Jim Cashmer yeah. about when he was on the show. And I've had a number of conversations with Jim and his colleague, uh, Tyler DeStefano, about these issues, which is what is in the policy and what right. does it say? And this is really the problem gets created, you know, Mark, when the people buy these policies or don't buy them or buy the wrong policy or they don't know what they have. And right. And it's not an uncommon thing for people to find themselves in this state needing to make a claim and then finding out what kind of insurance right. they have. It's like you're standing up front of your house and it's burned to the ground. And you're standing up there thinking like, hmm, I wonder if I have insurance right, for this, exactly. right? It's just, it's really, it, it, it's something that comes up and it's not all policies, as, as Jim likes to say, uh, and, and Tyler, they're not created equally. Just because sure. you have a disability policy doesn't mean that you know, it's going to cover uh, business interruption or business overhead or 
whether it's uh, a policy that you have to be completely disabled or a policy that can you, maybe you can't practice dentistry, but you could be a science teacher. Right, yeah. Well, guess what? I don't, I, I need to, I'm used to a certain level right. of income as a dentist and I've got this dental practice just because you tell me I can go teach science. Right, It's not exactly. helping me, like I'm disabled. You know, so the devil is in the detail with these policies and it just really underscores the importance of planning and preparation and knowing what goes on. And one other thing I wanna say before we turn it back to Mark, because I know we're kind of getting off topic a little bit, but not much so, is these policies change too, which is a real kind of humdinger. You know, that people, when you get these letters in the mail sometimes, it says, hey, there's been an amendment to your policy, it's gonna go into effect next year. Like that stuff sometimes may have a meaningful change that you need to consult with somebody and your advisor at that point and say, Hey, is this change going to really uh, interrupt my potential of to, to collect on a policy in a real way? It might just be like, yeah. Right, so just yeah. because what you signed on day one was okay doesn't mean that what you have now is okay, which right. is really kind of a scary thing. For sure. That's a very, very fair point, Rob. Um, Paul, just finishing up what I was saying before, on the other end, as I said, there are two types of policies, the overhead, the individual policy, or the group policy. Um, under an individual policy, if someone goes out again, and uh, whether it's total disability they're looking for or residual disability, again, it's very fact specific as to whether you can hire a replacement dentist that would fit into the equation, would be deductible under that policy, so to speak, or, or on one end or reimbursable on the other. So as Rob was saying, it's very, very fact specific um, to the extent where I can't even generalize about it. Uh, and also, as you're saying, not only do the policies change, the, the policies that are issued change from oftentimes from year to year within the same company, and all the policies for all the companies are different. But we've had a scenario over the last 20 some years where there's been a consolidation in the industry. And so you may have, and a, I'll use a, a good example, you may have purchased or our people may have purchased, for example, an equitable policy, which happens to have been a very good policy when they were issuing policies from a very good company. However, equitable is no longer in the business. So those claims are now being managed and handled by a totally different company. So it can be more typical than not, where you're buying a policy, you've paid the premiums for a million years, and if God forbid there's a problem and you need to file a claim, the people, the company handling the claim is a totally different company than the one you originally purchased the the contract with. So that happens as well. Yeah, that's interesting. What are are some common errors people make? You know, let's say you're a dental student. We have, I talk about the circle of dentisting life a lot from a dental student, baby age dentist, child age dentist, medium age dentist, a seasoned age, and then finally the best rating the rad, the retired age dentist. So let's say you're going to go on this journey and your disability insurance has to go with you. You know, when is it day? I mean, I still think I use this phrase of day one, D one, D one is the dental school years when you should be thinking about Mm -hmm. this because you're investing in your career Mm -hmm. at that point. But uh, this is just another topic. One of our catchphrases here, the stuff that dental school doesn't cover. So they are very into the Krebs cycle, not as into protecting your career, but that's what we're here for. So when should people start thinking about it and what are some mistakes that they make along the way? Well, some of that really can probably be addressed by someone that's actually selling the policies. But my advice, having handled hundreds and hundreds of these cases, is number one, and I've told you about a presentation that, I, that I've made from time to time, um, the number one thing is not having a disability insurance policy. So the first thing you recognize is you have to ensure your ability to make a living and protect your lifestyle. That's what a disability insurance policy is all about. So the first mistake is not getting it as early as you can in the process. It's probably the younger you are, the cheaper. Um, There there are less medical issues generally to deal with, so it's always cheapest. Number two is when you're buying a policy to have a what's called a future increase option built into the policy so that from time to time as time would go on, the benefit amount would you'd have you can opt to have the benefit amount increase over time that can be done from the inception secondly would be recognizing as your insur- as your um, uh, income is increasing 
to get more disability insurance to protect that income. You may start out in, in after you come out of uh, dental school and maybe you'll get a, a modest policy, two, three, four, five thousand dollars a month, which at that time may be more than enough. Uh, but over time, um, and, and dentists make a very, very good living. Um, as that living increases, you need to increase your coverage to protect your living because you're, you're generally your lifestyle will increase um, that's consummate with your, with your income to the extent that, that it, there's more income to protect. So that, that needs to be uh, increased as well. Gotcha. So that's a mistake. And, you know, so I, one of the things that we were talking about earlier, which I think uh, it's uh, really would be helpful for our listeners to hear, is, you know, why it's important for you to get involved at an early stage, Mark. And because I, I think a lot of people probably when they're in this situation where they're faced with submitting a claim, don't realize that, you know, the, the litigation essentially has begun when the day that they submit that claim. Right. And, you know, my, right. my observation has been over time that insurance companies go out of their way to make it seem like they're there to help these people who are submitting this, these claims. They make it very easy for them to submit these claims on their own um, so that they don't go talk to somebody like you. However, uh, that's, a, that's a trap. It is a trap, and Rob, um, I'll address myself that, to that in one second. There were a couple of good points that you made before when you were talking about the policy. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest mistakes that our people and uh, our clients and dentists make is maybe even having the policy, but never having read the policy, or if they read the policy, they don't understand the policy. People don't read agreements? Yeah, right, exactly. So, you know, you know it's, no, a, know. it's the same you, thing in your, your world, yeah. Right. And, well, then, you know what, but here's the thing. I mean, reading an insurance policy, even for, for me, and I've been doing this for 25 years, is brutal. I mean, this is not like reading a book, the newspaper, or any normal, no. like, publication, Paul. I mean, if you ever read an insurance no, policy, not. there's the policy, and then there's a part that says, yes, but the section that you just read, these are the exclusions to that. Yeah, yeah. And then there are exceptions or, to the exclusions. Right. Like you, if you don't do that on a regular basis, and i.e., you know, somebody that's a consultant, a, a really good agent that can walk somebody through it, even if you read it, you could read it 10 times right. and still not understand right. yeah, what the heck and, it and, says. And there are, there are writers and so forth. The bottom line is the policy is nothing other than a contract. And what you have to understand going into a claim is what the contract says and what you are required to do in order to satisfy whatever you need to satisfy under that contract to obligate the company to pay your claim. And people don't understand anything. Um, This is oftentimes, to your point, um, thought of as a Blue Cross Blue Shield claim or a dental insurance claim. I fill out a form, I code it, I bill the uh, insurance company $500, I send it in, they send me $100, which is what they pay for my $500 procedure, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. That's not what Piece it is. Cake. No, these are, when you understand what we understand, these are significant claims. This, in fact, oftentimes is the biggest asset that somebody has, bigger than their stock portfolio or investment portfolio, maybe more valuable than their house. and. Uh, and, and, and the bottom line is that there is incredible resistance to accepting liability from the inception. Companies are generally publicly held, and there is something called an insurance reserve that has to be raised, and, ta- and, a, and an amount of money that has to be raised, taken out of the operating account, and dedicated to a reserve account by law to pay a claim. And that's figured out by the company. But when you figure the average claim generally is in the eight to $10,000 range um, and project that over a certain amount of years and present value that, and then it's, there's other factors that come into play, oftentimes the reserve needs to be seven figures, a million, a million and a half dollars that needs to be taken out of the company's operating account and put into the reserve account. This is not as simple as paying Dr. Jones an $8,000 monthly benefit because you know, it looks good, we'll pay Dr. Jones $8,000. No, before they pay Dr. Jones $8,000, they may very well have to put a million dollars away, which is a net loss to the company. So when you understand that as a, as a basic rule of thumb, you can understand the resistance to accepting liability, meaning the company will have to take a million, a million and a half or more out of their pockets and put it into the reserve account as a net loss. Conversely, if they 
have the, the circumstance where they've, uh, if, if they feel that a claim should be terminated that's being paid and terminate the liability, they can then take that reserve money, that million or million and a half, out of the reserve account, put that back into the operating account as a net gain. So the, the, the economics that nobody understands are huge in these cases. And, and when you understand that, you, you realize this is not a little claim of filling out a form, send it in, I say I'm disabled, and the company's going to pay. That's not what we're talking about. Secondly, um, a mistake that dentists often make is understanding, is, 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 is thinking that I'm a bright guy, I went to college, I went to dental school, I have my own practice, and I do quite well, I'm a bright guy. The person that I'm filing this claim um, with, the, uh, the, the, insurance, um, the insurance person on the other side, the, um, the, the claims person, mm -hmm. is not as bright as me. So I can outthink them, outsmart them, I understand, no. <laughs> and that may be true, you may or may not be smarter, but not in this circumstance. This is what they are trained to do, this is what they are paid to do, this is what they do all day long. And also, it's, it's not understood that it's not just that claims representative, it's their supervisor, manager, it's a legal staff that's at their disposal, it's a medical staff, um, in-house doctors, at their, their disposal, vocational consultants and so forth, uh, a team of, um, of um, investigators doing surveillance, doing outside field representative meetings, all of which are at their disposal for purposes of truthfully trying to figure out how, to not, how not to pay a claim or how to pay less than, than otherwise should be paid on the claim. Uh, and that's what they do. Earlier in the process, they have what we refer to as a roundtable meeting. Uh, or they often uh, refer to as a forum, where a group of all those people will sit down and, to your point, Rob, will look at every piece of information that's submitted on that claim, look at the policy on a line-item basis, and how do we use that policy, how, how is that policy worded, how do we use that policy in a way relative to the information that is presented really to refuse the claim, to not mm -hmm. pay the claim. Not easy to be a dentist. We have the dental insurance companies that don't like us, now our own disability policies. <laughs> and, I wonder and, we, we, and they we have, probably don't like them more because of the, the amounts of money could, involved. Could you share, I know our listeners like a, a, a story or an example of a case where, you know, working with you really got the dentist what they needed and they, you know, they would have been lost without you or, you know, a time where you even, you know, sometimes as a, a dentist, you get challenging you know, teeth cases, implant cases, you know, a story that one of the listeners could sort of relate to of, hey, hand injury, or shoulder injury, psychological injury. Yeah. injury. And, and Paul, you, you raised a good point, which um, I didn't, I wanted to respond to also about the different stages of someone's career. Unfortunately, um, it's a very physically demanding career, and I don't have to tell the dentists out there, they all know it. It's very physically demanding. Um, uh, probably especially with the, with the women, uh, Dennis, but it, very demanding and it takes its toll. Uh, putting your head in a, these, uh, and your body in these contorted positions, the amount of force and the physics involved um, is very, very demanding um, physiologically. So what we see over time is from doing procedures every day on a repeated basis, the wear and tear, the breakdown of uh, of someone's body where they start developing serious neck problems, back problems, shoulder problems, arm-related problems, hand-related problems um, that get worse and worse and worse over time. And in, to um, your point, when do you get involved, to Rob's point, when do you get involved? It's when you start feeling that this is, this is going south. I can't, I, I'm losing my effectiveness, my efficiency, I'm dropping instruments, I really can't do this. Instead of trying to keep doing it, at some point you need to um, understand that uh, there's a policy that ensures your, uh, your inability to, to, to do this. Well, you uh, might, you might, you're trying to be a hero, right? You think you're doing the right thing by powering through yes, it, and you may yes. be just taking and steps to like stack the deck against yes, your right. claim. Because you're like, well, you've been working the last six months. You look like you're pretty strong yeah, yes, to me. Exactly. Right. And then the classic scenario is, uh, Dr. Jones, why is it that you could do these procedures yesterday and you can't tomorrow? That's what happens. Right. I'm doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. I'm not documenting everything because I don't want anybody to know. I can't do it anymore. I file a claim. I stop practicing. And the company comes back and says, well, Dr. Jones, um, your numbers are up. 
you're doing well, you're doing all these procedures until yesterday, what happened? Why can't you do it tomorrow? And somehow that has to be explained medically. How, what, what led up to the inability to do this going forward? How, how are you going to do that? It's a classic scenario. It's a classic case that, that, that happens all the time. In answer to your question, Paul, um, we had a dentist one time that was exactly what I, what I just said. Uh, female dentist pushing, 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 neck, this, getting uh, cortisone shots to the extent you couldn't get them anymore, pushing, 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 pushing. Her identity, great practice, uh, didn't want to lose her identity, let alone the, the income, and just basically pretty much stopped. And not only stopped, but the way some of these policies read is that um, generally they read an individual policy where a claim is not is not usually less than two years. So if someone has a policy that ends at age 65, yet prior to age 65, they file a claim, even though it may be the day before their, depending on the policy, it could be the policy anniversary date, could be their birthday when the policy expires. The day before that, essentially, working, filing a claim and saying, I'm now totally disabled. That was a challenge, getting her paid. We got her paid for the, the whole two years uh, that she was entitled to get paid. But it was all these issues that we were talking about, not doing what she should have done, not cutting down, not uh, properly documenting things. And, and the problems were absolutely real and, and, and severe. Um, but the, the, the layout was that the company's looking at it, hey, you know, we were, we were packing this policy up and it was going bye-bye in like a, a couple of days. All of a sudden you're disabled and you, want, you have your hand out for two years. You know, how cute is that? It was real, um, but that was a really difficult case, but we did get her paid. That's a good example there. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's, there's a lot of things dentists there, have to, to th there are There are so many issues. I, I, it, we can't possibly talk about them all in a day, let alone in a 45 minute session. Well, let me say, um, let me interrupt you, Mark. You see, Paul, this is like a common, we can also have like a sub theme to our show, yeah. which is you don't know what you don't know. Right. This is like the classic of what happens when you DIY it. Yeah, can you physically fill out the form? Can you physically, you know, print uh, an employment agreement off the uh, off the internet? Can you do your own due diligence when you're going to buy a practice? And, yeah, yeah, you could do all that stuff. Can you do it well? Maybe not. You know, and these are this is another example of what we what we call one transaction. Yeah. right. You get one shot at your disability claim. You can do it yourself, make the mistake, and you'll never have a shot at it again. Or work with somebody who's been doing this and nothing but this for however many years, 40 years or the last 25 and that, that's exclusively. The key, this and it's like, that's the value in this. Like, for you sure. know, just because you can do it doesn't mean you can do it well. I mean, what I share is that representing the only dentist here at the table, unless some of you guys want to go to dental school, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time. Uh, but, uh, you know, the awareness of who's out there, sometimes you don't even know people do these jobs. And just before the podcast started, someone messaged me and said, I can't get these claims paid in my practice. And what should I do? I have bad debt. And I have a key resource and sponsor who helps with collections. And I, in, in under 30 seconds, she's now connected with them. And that's what your role is here, Mark. You know, you know, we were able to use podcasts and Facebook groups to bring awareness of what you do so that people don't feel as isolated out there. Because if you think about it, you know, it, you know, when you're in Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, you know, you're connected even even the most isolated dentist is physically seeing other dentists, you know, whether even if it's on the street and there's other areas of the country where the isolation is brutal for a dentist. And it could be like Dentist Doc Hollywood and they need these resources. And how do we get them into their uh, dentist cave to use a, to use a line from Eric Cornelius? Because we're all working basically in caves out there. And, you know, when you have a problem, go use like you say, try to power through it, make it worse. Mm. No one ever told you. You know, I mean, we've all been given this weird feeling that you never want to go to a doctor because it's going to hurt you later, even though that's probably just hor horrendous advice slash thoughts. But even I have those things, right? You know, we, on the forums, you know, I hurt my shoulder playing, you know, football. Should I go to the doctor or not go to the doctor? Probably it's sad that you just don't go to the doctor and want to get yourself well. Yeah. And you have to think about all of these things. And it's just great you're bringing these things up. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, Rob. Um, we have won cases on the basis of one word in a policy, the, the placement of a comma in a, po in a policy. <laughs> That's how intense yeah. this is. And when people understand what they're up against, which is, if there's one thing I have to um, put out there, 
it's this is a fight, possibly the fight of your life, and you're vulnerable, and they're out to exploit you. Um, to, uh, to understand what you're up against, the money, the resources, the, the, the personnel they have, all these people are forensically trained, really for one purpose, which is to evaluate the claim with the intention of, if they can, not pay it. Well, so I, that's what you're up against. I've got this visual, Mark, and you know, I think you'll probably identify with it and appreciate it. And I think it's if people are thinking about navigating this process by themselves, visualize you know that there are two rooms right there's the dentist in yeah. one on one side of the the wall who is happily filling out all the information yeah. because they're going to get their insurance uh, claim paid and then you know on the other side of the wall there are 16 people in right. suits with like you know like a futuristic background with like the yeah. blue light yeah. and they're scheming and looking at the policy looking at the records looking at what the dentist said when they got on the phone and had a conversation about the claim you know because they're doing it on their own and nitpicking every single one strategizing about how we can get out of having to pay this claim and meanwhile on the other side of the wall it's real bright and happy and the dentist is just sort of Da -de -da -de -da. Hmm, wonder yeah. what I'm going to hear back from my claim. It's like the brain trust is over there trying to figure out however they can to avoid paying. Because as Mark said, these are this is these are big numbers. Like when they have to sock away a million or two million dollars, whatever, in reserve to pay this claim, that's against their bottom line. They have shareholders, they have investors that they have to answer to. And just like any other business, when you're not profitable, you're not doing a good yeah. job. So. The business incentive is there to try to avoid making these payments. And to the unsuspecting dentist on the other side of the wall that thinks that they're doing everything right, you know, you don't realize how much the deck is stacked against you. You're really a nacho Batman, Mark, but to me it just seems so evil and sad because, you know, I, I didn't go to law school, but I read a lot of John Grisham books. Was that the same? I think it's the same. But uh, I read The Rainmaker. In California, you yeah, yeah, yeah. take the bar. Yes, in, in The <laughs> Rainmaker, you know, that was that classic movie with Matt Damon and the book, you know, where they de denied the medical claim. I mean, they're selling insurance policies. And what you're telling me is they're just trying not to pay the things they sold. So it's like, it's a pretty dirty-ish world. Being realistic, yes, it, it, it is. They just sell um, you and, the umbrella. And, and you can't you imagine, you can't imagine how many people come to us and say, I don't understand this. I've had this policy for 20 years. I've been paying religiously when my premiums are, are due for 20 years. And I've got a problem. Now I filed a claim and, and they won't pay it. And that happens all the time. Yeah. It's just like it's like shocking to someone that how, you know, I can't believe they're not paying. But they don't. If, if they don't have to pay, they won't. If they, if they can come up with a way not to pay, they will. But do, that's you, do that's you use the reality. words of a Stephen A. Smith, uh, come on, man, episode, like you guys are attorneys, right? So you're an attorney and then they don't pay your client's claim. And it's another attorney telling you they're not going to pay, right? So you're talking- Not necessarily. Or, or their team. Mm -hmm. But are you ever like, this isn't how words work? I mean, like they have, you have a, a client with a claim, an injury, a problem. They submit the claim and then they just don't pay it. But you're saying you're sharing that the policy should pay it. Are they just being? Is it just stubbornness or just? No, they they uh, they generally try at least to have a reasonable basis to not pay the claim. It depends on what that is and and why. It could be for a thousand different reasons. Um, uh, there's a lack of medical documentation. Um, sometimes if things weren't timely uh, submitted, uh, it, uh, there were there were there were lots of reasons. Yeah. Paul, as to what is a basis not to pay a claim. As I said, it's a contract, and you have to satisfy all the terms and conditions, all the provisions of that contract in order to obligate them to pay. And there, are, there are situations where there's, for example, what we were alluding to was what's called an own occupation policy, meaning your ability to perform the material and substantial duties in your own occupation, whether that is a general dentist or whether that is an orthodontist or some other uh, specialized uh, uh, dental practice. Um, and that's called an own occupation policy. So um, the, the question would be is, can you, um, are you, well, what I wanted to talk about, if I can just sure. vary off. There are, the way these policies read, you're ensuring your ability or inability to perform that particular occupation. And I think that um, Rob in the introduction kind of 
went into you could do X, Y, and Z. Under the policy, you may be able to do something differently and still get paid. Um, and it depends on how you evaluate everything, how we evaluate everything, how we uh, present everything. So for example, you may have someone that is uh, running their own practice, they're a sole practitioner, they have their own practice, they have, a, they, have a, they have a practice, they can't do the physical stuff, but they're still running their practice. The company may come in and say, well, you spent a material, that's a material duty of the, of the practice, so you're residually disabled, you're not totally disabled. Whereas maybe if we're handling it, we can show they are totally disabled, that that was a minimal part of the practice. Um, uh, and, and what's interesting in, in, to your point about selling a policy, some of the policies, there's a, one company I probably shouldn't uh, mention, but in their promotional materials, the way they're representing a claim that if someone can do some of the duties but not do some of the other duties, that that would be a residual claim can very well in, their, in the way they're presenting it, wrong. It can be right, but it can very well be wrong where they're telling somebody if you can do the, you can't do, it happened to be an orthopedic surgeon that they use as, as an example. So let's say it's a dental surgeon. You can't do the dental surgery part, but you can do the examinations and, and evaluations. You can do the surgical management pre and post. You can't do the surgery. By that policy, by the way they're, they're presenting their, their promotional materials, you would be partially disabled, residually disabled. Yet, we very well can, can show that that person is totally disabled. So that is one of the ways, as I said, it's all about figuring out a way not to pay. But if they do have to pay, to pay less, and that's generally how they do it. Well, that is, you're still doing some of the material and substantial duties, so therefore you're partially disabled. And by the way, the replacement dentist under the policy, that cost doesn't go into the equation to the extent that when we look at your business income, you're really not meeting the loss threshold where you're not entitled to a benefit. And that's what they do. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's sort of the middleman. I'm here. sorry to kind of get yeah, back no, to that I, in a roundabout that. way. But I don't do this kind of work, but, you know, I can be like yes. sort of the intermediary. What, it's just a whole, it's a dance. You know, yeah. they're going to go back and they're going to say, we're not going to pay because of this. And then Mark says, yeah, but you're wrong about that. And then they come back and say, well, but we're gonna not gonna pay for this reason. And then he kind of calls BS on that. Right. And then they yes. say, but and, we'll pay you X. And he says, oh no, no, you won't. You have to pay three X. And then they say, well, we'll pay two X. And if you don't have the basis and the experience, the understanding to, to call BS on that, then they just well, steal it, it, it. Also to your other point, Paul, it's understanding all the issues out there when you're, when you're handling a, a claim. And unless you've been doing this, unless you have experience, you don't understand it. There are lots of issues. Understanding those issues so that if somebody is, has filed their own claim and it's been denied and their guys are saying, no, we're not paying this, it's what is defective about the claim. When the claim was put in, what was defective about it, if it, it was defective at all? What is defective about their position? Why is their position weak? What have they done that they shouldn't have done in the background? And how do you... Um, better support your own claim, and, and how do you point out the, the defectiveness in their position to the extent where you can reverse and get the claim paid? I, 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 from this conversation, has been great. Mark, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to go right to Alves and order a whole picture of margaritas for myself. Good and idea. then two, I'm going to put you in my speed dial. So that's you know, those, those really great stuff you're sharing here with us. Yeah, I think it's super important. Mark, if uh, people want to learn more about your firm or want to reach you, how would they uh, be able to do that? Um, well, phone is 215-735-4222, um, or our website is uh, seltzerlegal.com, and feel free uh, to, even if someone needs uh, information, visit our website. I think we have a lot of really good information. Yeah, some great on the, on, awesome too. Yeah, yeah as, sure. as a resource. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of articles which I and uh, the lawyers and the other lawyers in the firm have published um, on these very issues where at least uh, pointing the finger to me, um, I've published articles on a lot of the issues that we've talked about. It's super important. I think I've wrapped up by saying a lot of times patients will come in and not be too happy at the dentist. And I say, I'm just trying to you know, help you eat, Mrs. Smith. You should like me better. And you guys, lawyers, uh, you're just trying to protect dentists. Dentists should like you guys better. So that's my whole <laughs> and, mission. And, so and, and one more yeah. thing I just want to, if someone needs to reach me, um, directly, it's Mark F. Seltzer at SeltzerLegal.com. And awesome. as always, all that will be up on the show notes. Uh, thank you, Amigo. Thanks for taking, uh, taking a right turn on Broad Street and coming to the office today. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for inviting me.
Thanks, Mark. Powerful stuff there for Mark. Uh, I think it's good. Like I think anybody that's interested in this or has these issues or thinking about planning and looking at disability insurance, this is really, I think, a companion to Jim Cashmar's for sure. episode. You know, Jim was part one. This is part two. And it comes back to, you know, a couple of themes that are we're always talking about on the show. Don't DIY this yeah. stuff. You know, I was recently listening to uh, one of our, our past episodes, Paul, and I think we had I forget if our guest said this or, or we talked about this. When you hire somebody that does this stuff all day, every day, it's like, you know, somebody that already saw the movie 10 times. For sure. And so they know what's going to happen in the end. And if you don't do this stuff all the time, you're going to find out what happens yeah. at the end. And you're probably not going to like it. This, this, this is such a great way to put it. And, you know, I think, you know, on our podcast guess you know we have the todd fleischmans build your practice grow and do stuff the offense it's you know super bowl week the offense but this defensive stuff with you know the marks the gyms and the you know the travis hornsby's is so important because you know you got to defend your career too and yeah. this is part of it yeah and and this is it here's a wake-up call that you know these people aren't your friends on the other right. side and and you do have to defend yourself and i think the trap that a lot of people fall into they don't even realize they're in a fight right. until yes. the fight's almost over and yeah. then you know it could be it could be too late and you can't put the genie back in the bottle all the time yeah i, I totally agree uh, thanks everyone for listening uh, and if uh, you like the show please yeah, go leave ahead us and a review a review and uh, keep in mind too listeners that if you go to the dentalamigos.com website there's a button there where you could submit a question and we will read it on the show and answer your questions. Hopefully we're able. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, take advantage of that because we'd like to hear from everyone. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.